0: All of us remember when we were kids playing this game hide-and-seek, right? I mean, my grandkids still like playing that game. And uh, you know what it is, it's, it's where somebody is designated as it. You ever wondered why we call it it? I don't know, I, I think we could come up with something better than that, but, uh, but it counts off to some specified number and then begins the search for the others who have hidden themselves and But before the search begins, what has to happen? It has to say something. Ready or not, what? Here I come. And you know, I thought about that little child's game as I prepared for this uh, Advent series, which we're calling Here Comes Heaven. Um, The prophets, I read Isaiah earlier, but the prophets have all foretold of this coming Messiah, and uh, people have been waiting centuries. But at one point... In history, during the peace of Rome, God was, let's say He was just through counting. <laughs> and to the world, He says, ready or not, here I come. Heaven coming to earth and uh, God's kingdom being brought and colliding with the system of the world. We were going to be able to see the kingdom of heaven come and exist among the kingdoms of this world, the conflict that that would cause. Jesus, this long-awaited Messiah, He was was coming to, to in many ways, make exchanges, to exchange despair for hope, to exchange darkness for light, turmoil for peace, and to exchange our sinfulness for His life. You know, over these four sermons, we're going to look at... uh, four people, or in one case with the uh, wise men, a group of people, to discover how this invasion of heaven changed the course of their lives. And I, I hope as, as you uh, listen to these that you'll identify in some way with each of them how heaven came and uh, the, the ways of heaven conflicted with the patterns of their life and uh, began to show them a better way. And perhaps it pertains to some of the stuff you're going through in your life this Christmas season. Today, we're going to look at this priest, Zacharias, and the account is found in the Luke, the first chapter. Uh, But before I read it, I just want to give you a little background. Uh, Zacharias, if you know the story, he does something that he assuredly regrets. He says something, it's just a reflex. He hears this message from the angels, and he just reflects Uh, He has this reflex to say something that is, uh, he just is later going to regret that he said it. So how many of us have regrets over something that we just popped off and said? I mean, you may be thinking here today on the Sunday after Thanksgiving, you have some regrets from this past week. I mean, why couldn't I have just tried... One or the other, pumpkin or pecan? (laughs) Why did I have to do both, right? You're thinking the same thing with Cool Whip on both of them. Yeah. If we think about it, I'm sure all of us could come up with our own list of uh, times where where we lacked faith. We compulsively sinned. We we lashed out at someone. Let our temper get the best of us. Here's Zacharias, starting in the fifth verse of Luke 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So that makes them of the tribe of the Levites, who were the priests, the worship leaders They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years." Now, it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he, Zacharias, was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, you have to understand something. Do you know how many priests served in the temple there in Jerusalem? 1,800. Very few of them ever had the privilege of going in and offering the incense. And here it was on this particular day that the lot fell to Zacharias, and we know it was by the hand of the Lord. Verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. In other words, he would go in and everybody would gather outside and pray for the priest who was now coming into the presence of the Lord inside. Now, while he's in there, verse 11. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, and we have this glorious proclamation of the angel, "'Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John.' You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude, the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I wonder how long Gabriel rehearsed that. (laughs) But he nailed it, didn't he? Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, (sighs) Okay, I hear what you're saying. But how, how am I going to know this for certain? You understand? Look at me. I am old. My wife, Elizabeth, bear a son, she is old, old. Here are the facts that Zacharias is fully aware of. Let me run them down. He knew he was old. He knew his wife was barren. He knew that God had let the lot fall to him to enter the holy place on this particular day to be the chosen priest to burn the incense. He knew all those things. He also sees the angel on the right side of the altar, and he knew that meant that the Lord was about to bless him. And in spite of all he knows and all he sees and all that has happened this day, he wants more proof. He wants more assurance. And I have to stop and think, you and I would have gotten this, wouldn't we? You would have gotten that, wouldn't you? You wouldn't have said what he said. We would have seen the altar, the sacred altar of the Lord. The, the fact that the lot falls to us on this particular day, I, I didn't think I'd ever get to go in, and here it is today, and uh, this angel in front of me speaking this glorious message to me, you and I would have gotten it. We would have stood there and said, thank you, thank you, angel of the Lord, for your great blessing. Let it be unto me as you have said. We would have done that, right? So I've got to think about, what is it in Zacharias that makes him, in that glorious situation, go, "Uh, I need a little bit more, angel? Consider this. Could it be that uh, Zacharias was just kind of a pessimistic kind of person? Could it be that Zacharias was just kind of a what I call a a negative Nelly, you know what I mean? (laughs) He just kind of had this negative outlook on life, and uh, he always looked at the very realistic impossibility of the situation, and oh, the glass is always half empty, if not more, instead of looking at the possibilities of what faith might, might just produce here. I want you to know this. Pessimism is not healthy and shows us faithless. So don't raise your hand right now, but are there any pessimistic people in the room? Are there any of you who are naturally inclined towards negativity? Let me say this. It's not healthy. If you're sitting with your spouse, just look straight ahead. But it's not healthy. You see, Zacharias is not just asking for information from God like Abraham or Moses or Mary did. They all encountered God and they all asked for some more information. No, that's not what Zacharias is doing. He is giving the angel the reasons as to why what you are saying cannot happen. I know you're an angel and all, but my wife and I... We're ancient. (laughs) There's no way she's having a baby. You know, there's a lot of pessimistic people in the Bible. Aren't you glad we have a lot of case studies in the Bible for pessimistic, negative people? I often think of the children of Israel during the Exodus and all that they face. They're in the wilderness, they're without water, they grumble to Moses, their leader. He goes to the Lord with the problem. The Lord tells them, throw this certain tree into the bitter waters and it'll make it sweet for them to drink. And so he does. And uh, then they have no food. And what do they do? They grumble to Moses. You know what the word grumble means? It means more than just being grumpy or in a bad mood. It means to murmur. It means to talk behind someone's back negatively. It's complaining, gossiping, backbiting, things of which you are not at all aware of, right? You're not acquainted with those things. You know what the actual Hebrew word for grumble is? I mean, uh, mer- what's the word? Yeah, grumble. What's the actual Hebrew word for it? Loon. That's true. And so the Lord tells Moses, I'm going to send manna, heaven food, every day for them to eat. And so he does. But after a while, what happens? They get tired of manna. And so they act like loons. <laughs> just had to throw it in. So the Lord sends quail, and uh, He tells they go down the road a little bit longer, and um, still they find themselves in a place where there's no water, and so they grumble again. They it says they quarrel with Moses and uh, They tell him, why have you brought us out here in this wilderness to die? And so Moses goes to God, and God is getting a little bit tiresome of this, but he says, strike the rock, and he strikes the rock, and water pours out of it, and um, they make their journey, and they're getting close to the promised land, and so... uh, they they say let's let's send and send some spies out and see what's what we're facing here in the promised land so they send out 12 guys and the 12 come back and 10 of them say those guys are so big over there we look like what grasshoppers compared to them two of the guys come back and say if the lord wants us to take it he'll be with us and we'll take it who do you think the people listen to the 10 or the two they listen to the 10 That's their natural inclination towards pessimistic realism. They saw the real negative, even impossible situation, and they refused to believe in the promises that God had already given them. I will lead you into a land filled with milk and honey. I will do this. It gets so bad that they turn on Moses now and they say, we want another leader, and where do they want to go? (laughs) Back to Egypt. Back to slavery. That's where pessimism and negativity leads you. Individuals, families, churches, even whole nations can become so sour, so negative that the goodness of God, the divine glory, this miracle working power, oh, just impossible. Or they just ignore it or sometimes even mock it. Yeah, right. So I have to kind of take this to heart, this Zacharias negativity. Uh, Do I, do we ever look at problems or even impossible situations and just say, well, it is hopeless? Perhaps you do this. You try and help God understand why this won't work. (laughs) You ever done that? Like Zacharias with the angel? You don't understand how old I am. You don't understand how old Elizabeth is. How many times in our lives do we look at the realistic, there, it's real, this is a tough situation, this, yeah, it's maybe even impossible, but we look at it and see the impossibilities rather than God's miraculous possibilities. Remember, every potential problem, every problem is a potential miracle, right? I've said this before, but you know, every... Everybody wants to see a miracle, nobody, but nobody wants to be in a situation that requires one. <laughs> so here's what happens, verses 19 and 20, the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Hmm Zacharias comes out to the people who were wondering why he'd been in there so long, and uh, he can't speak. The People realize that something happened in there. <laughs> something remarkable. He goes back home, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. Zacharias is unable to speak that whole time and up until the day of the birth. And God had responded to his lack of faith by taking away his ability to speak. And there's just so many lessons that we could draw, so many points that we could make from this passage of Scripture. Here's a few. God is serious about doubt. Amen? God is serious when it comes to doubt. God has a plan, and He wants, even insists on our cooperation. He knows us for our own good. Those are good points, but those aren't the points I'm going to make, okay? Here's the point I want to make. God causes or uses problems to get our attention. That ever happened in your life? C.S. Lewis' famous quote from his book, The Problem of Pain, he writes this, he says, "'God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain gets our attention.'" Zacharias, I know you're old, that's the point." (laughs) I know your wife Elizabeth, I know how ancient she is, but that's the point. It will be this miracle from heaven that she is going to bear the forerunner of Jesus, the spirit of Elijah come in the person of John the baptizer and Zacharias, I am serious about this. You will not be able to speak until your son is born. Do I have your attention? Have you ever been in a painful situation that uh, gets your attention and turns you towards God? You just don't know where else to go and you're going to run to Him. And maybe the better question is, when was the last time that happened? Because I know it's happened. I remember my first pastorate, I was in California, it was a tough assignment and uh, I remember telling the Lord how incapable I was. Have you ever been there? I remember telling him how uh, I guess I misunderstood when I thought he wanted me to come and take this church, and uh, I'm sorry for my mistake at understanding your will. I've obviously made a mistake. They couldn't pay me enough to live on. People were leaving. The the building needed so much help. It was a pitiful situation in so many ways, and uh, I started praying and praying and saying, mostly, God, just deliver me from this wilderness. But you know what happened? All of a sudden, money started appearing, and uh, the Lord opened the door for me to have this awesome second job, and people gave extra money to spruce up the place, and new people started coming. It was like God telling me, do I have your attention? This is my church. I know what I'm doing. I called you here. I don't make mistakes. How many of you have ever honestly thought God made a mistake? Honestly. Maybe He just wants you to know that your problems are designed to draw you in closer to Him. Don't try and defend your failures. Come to Him and receive His forgiveness, His love, His life. Don't get bitter over the way you were mistreated. Draw in close to Him. Let Him comfort you. Speak to you of the truth of what has happened. Don't choose to be bitter. That's right. Your bitterness, your negative garbage is your choice to carry. I'm telling you, it's keeping you. It's robbing you of all God wants to do and bless you with. Elizabeth becomes pregnant, just as the angel had said. She gives birth to a son, and we pick up the story when the boy is eight days old. Verse 59, it happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. Of course, that's what you do in the Jewish community. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, he shall shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. That would be very odd in their community. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called, and he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. Zacharias (laughs) The will of the Lord was for this man to be named John. So he agrees with the will of the Lord. He writes it with great courage. His name will be John. And his heart is filled with this blessing, filled with this praise. There is no greater blessing than living in agreement with God's plan. There is no greater blessing than living in agreement with God's plan for your life. I mean, just imagine the emotions that are running through Zacharias. He's failed to believe the angel. He's endured all these months not being able to speak. Now his son is born. The Lord gives him back his voice. All he can do is now speak in praise to God, the very one who took his voice away. And if you read the rest of Luke 1, it's this long hymn of praise that Zacharias speaks God's discipline, His correction in our lives is always this act of love towards us. Do you know that each one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, from the newest Christian to the most mature Christian, each one of us has been given a place in the kingdom to serve, to share, to edify. To be useful, fruitful, to be a part of this grand plan of God. And there is no greater blessing than when you're in agreement with what God has called you to do, no matter, hear this, how you feel about it. You you may not know this, but I am a natural introvert. I am. I I would never raise my hand in class growing up. I always wanted to hide my uh, head when the teacher was looking for someone to choose, to talk. That's me. And here, uh, when I'm a young man, God says, "I, I want you to get up in front of a large group of people every Sunday and talk for 30 straight minutes. And I said, but that's not my comfort zone. That's not my comfortable place. That's not where I'm most inclined. That's not where I'm... But I got to tell you something. That when I stand here and I am agreeing with God's plan for my life, there is a connection, there is a blessing between He and I. Really, I don't have the other times of the week, just when I stand here and agree with what He's called me to do. I say, even if you're a teenager, God has a plan for you now. Even if you're a child, God has a plan for you now. Yeah, He has a plan when you grow up, but He has a plan for you now. Seek Him. Make yourself available to Him. Who knows what He can do with your life now? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't think you're too young or in Zacharias, too old. Don't think you're unqualified or not ready. Also, did you know that God has a plan for your life when you retire? Amen? Amen? Uh, where's he going? Ah. God has a plan for you when you retire. Every day that He gives you breath, He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He wants you fruitful. And those who choose to say, I'm just going to live for myself for the rest of my days, you know what? You're robbing yourself. You are robbing yourself of the blessing that comes from walking in the agreement with His plan for your life. And my last point, God restores what has been lost and more. Zacharias got his voice back. He was blessed with a son, filled his heart with praise. He had seen the work, the faithfulness, the compassion of God given to him, and this was happening. Heaven was coming, the time. I'm, I'm alive at the time that this is happening. Oh, all oh, glory to God, my son will be the forerunner in the spirit of Elijah for the coming Messiah. Oh, praise the Lord. The loss of his voice, the failure of the, the scene back there, all gone. Maybe you're here today and you have suffered loss, and uh, sometimes losses are our own doing, and sometimes it's just part of living in this world. And if you're honest, there's been a, there's been a, a, a pessimism being rooted in your life, a negative attitude, and uh, somewhere along the line maybe even a fatalistic lack of faith in God and His ability to continue to bless your life even in the midst of your loss. I encourage you to believe. Did you know that God's heart just melts when we believe that He knows what He's doing all the time, that He's good all the time, that He has a design for the next steps of my journey? My wife Cindy and I have been—we've uh, been saying a phrase to each other as we face situations that seem bigger than us and uh, difficult, even overwhelming. And we'll—we'll we'll begin to go down that fatalistic, doubtful road. And, oh, this is so bad, and one or the other of us will turn to and say, "God's got this." God's got this. And you know, in my 16 plus years of pastoring this church, I've seen many of you, I've watched many of you endure difficulties. I've seen you deal with cancer and heart attacks and deaths of spouses and accidents and just the stuff of life, right? And yet, so many times, I've just seen this faith rising out of these situations in so many people's lives and uh, that God, in the midst of their pain, works just miracles. And you may be here today and you're in that season of the the problem is huge and it's uh, swimming upstream and it's kind of... Influencing you towards this faithlessness. Don't, don't, don't buck up and say, I can do this, I can survive, I can make it through it. No, you say, God's got this. Turn it loose. And Give Him your doubts and your sinful failures and your sorrow and your grief and your pessimism. And trust Him. Trust Him. He is a God who restores in ways that we can't even begin to comprehend. Amen. Let's pray. Father, no doubt across this audience today are people who who struggle when it comes to areas of faith, struggle to believe or... Their belief is that if if you're really a God who does these miracles, that you will do these miracles the way I want you to do these miracles. And uh, and so, there is that, that crucible moment where they come to you and they say, Lord God, I just, uh, I don't know where this is going. I don't know how this is going to resolve. I don't know how this is going to work itself out, and I don't know how long it's going to take. But I'm here today to place it on the altar before you and say, Lord God, I'm just uh, taking my hands off of it. I'm not placing my expectations on you. You're God. I'm not. You know what you're doing. You see it all. I have such a finite vision for it, and uh, so I will trust you, and uh, I will let you, I will let you dictate the days of my journey here. And if you call me to something that is uh, seemingly impossible, I will not walk the other way, and I will not uh, doubt that you're able to provide for what you call us to do, but you will walk with us you will resource us, you will gift us, you will use us. So Father, here we are, here we are, let's stand and sing.